Bonjour les amis, hello friends, et bienvenue, welcome to the Paris Lessons. Merci d'être là, thank you for being here. This week's episode is inspired by something that I heard in class at the Sorbonne last week. And at the end of my discours, or my talk, or my discourse, I will answer one of your fabulous questions. Remember that you can always send me questions. I'm very happy to answer them here on the podcast. You can either email them to me with the subject, the Paris Lessons question, s'il vous plaît, please. Or you can post them in the student group, the French is Beautiful student group on Facebook. Et voilà. And there you go. So I have, I have named this week's episode Lost in Translation because I'm going to talk about translation, but in two senses. The first, the first sense is the more literal sense as, as pertains to language. The second sense is a more metaphysical sense. So basically what happened last week when I had this, this intense moment in class, a professor said that when it comes to translation... Something will always be lost. And I should also add that already in the second week of my first year of my master's program, translation has been something that we've talked about a lot in my seminars. Because we have to remember when we're studying philosophy, the texts that we're studying were written in many different languages, right? Spanning centuries. So some were originally written in French, some in English, some in ancient Greek, some in, uh, some in German, some in Italian, etc., etc. So the art of translation is so important when it comes to, to, to legacy, to the legacy of these philosophical ideas. And the art of translation is particularly important when we're talking about metaphysical philosophy because some of these concepts, even in their, their original language, are very challenging to understand. Philosophy has, a, has its own unique use of certain very, very um, basic words in any language, like to be, like truth, like certainty, like bad, etc., etc. So we've been talking a lot in my courses about, you know, the importance of studying from la bonne traduction, right? Uh, the, the good translation or the right translation. But it was interesting when this professor said that, you know, at the end of the day, we always have to remember that in translation, something will also be lost. Always. You can't, you can't translate things exactly from one language to another because a language is also carrying its culture on its back. And I thought that this was so wonderful to share with you. Those of you who are my students of the French language, you've heard me talk about the translation trap a lot. And this is further further support of my theory of the, the downfalls of the translation trap. What is the translation trap? The translation trap is what I call, it's that headspace, that frustrating headspace that students of any language get into when they become frustrated, when they cannot translate something literally from their, their um, native language 
to the language that they're studying or vice versa. And then what happens is, you know, you start to have these mental blocks, you start to feel frustrated, you start to maybe feel like the language you're studying is quote unquote crazy, or you might start to feel like you're just not good at languages, all of these things that simply are not true. When instead what you can do is you can embrace this magical wonder, this this magical aspect of translation that my professor highlighted this week, that in translation, something will always be lost. You're always going to lose something. You're always going to lose some essence that lies in the words that you are translating. Now, I'm not saying this to discourage anyone. My message is certainly not, well, why study languages if nothing can really be translated exactly? No, I'm sharing this to inspire you. This is why I've always loved studying other languages. This is why I've always loved at least having, um, you know, strong travel language skills when I go to a new country, because I'm convinced that there are certain experiences you can only have when you can say basic things in the language of the country that you're going to. I'm convinced that there are certain things that you can really only understand on the written page when you have a certain command of the language that you are reading. It's this essence or l'essence, as we would say in French. This is your reward. This beautiful, precious reward for studying languages, this understanding the essence behind the words. And on that note now, to to pull the scope of what I'm sharing with you back a little bit and go into more of a metaphysical sense, language in and of itself is a very interesting thing because language is our attempt to communicate our thoughts and our feelings with the outside world or with another person. And just as it's hard to translate, to create literal translations, precise, accurate, 100% um, comprehensive literal translations from one language to another, it's equally as challenging to translate our own feelings, thoughts, i.e. essence, into words and communicate them to another person. And I think that this is why oftentimes we struggle so much as humans. I think this is why oftentimes also personal development might not work very well for us because we're still stuck with this challenge of translating our inner experience into words. But remember what my professor said, when you're translating something will always be lost. But that something is usually the precious thing. It's usually the essence of the thing. It's the thing that you don't want to lose track of. It's the thing that you don't want to throw away. We're at the beginning of autumn, beginning of a new school year. We've we've already, you know, passed la grande rentrée, the big, the you know, the big back to school or the big return from vacation here in Europe. But it's definitely a time of new beginnings. It's the perfect time to, you know, really cozy up, get productive, and do some wonderful, wonderful reflecting on, you know your current self, your past selves, your future selves. And all of this is absolutely connected to translation because there's really no way for us to talk about any of this, even with ourselves, without language. And one of the reasons that 
It can become very challenging when you're in conversation with yourself, when you're trying to have a clearer picture of who you are, or you're trying to maybe shed an old skin and step into the skin of someone that you either want to be or someone you feel yourself becoming. You know, if you're, if you're already feeling that wave of change underneath you, those of you who surf, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That moment where you can, where you, you feel the force of the wave coming, and then that moment where you feel Feel it under you and pushing you up and pushing you forward. These moments can be challenging because we're trying to intellectualize them in our minds through language. And we have a language that's particularly binary in many, many cultures. What do I mean by binary? It's two-sided. So we think in terms of true, false, good, bad, right? Past, present, or present, future, or future, past, day, night, right? So what happens when we try to translate ourselves into those terms, we always inevitably lose a part of ourselves. And that part of ourselves is a huge part of our essence. What I wanted to share with you is part of my being yourself course. Those of you who've already taken it, this will be a lovely sort of reminder of it for you. I think it's the perfect time of year to go through it. And this actually talks in this part that I'm going to read to you, I talk a bit more about this, this binary language. In this first lesson, we are going to examine the role of duality in our thinking and how it affects the way that we present ourselves in the world. Common dualities of human thought processes include true, false, good, bad, happy, sad, right, wrong, etc. I've given you some of their French equivalents in this lesson's vocabulary audio for those of you who are aspiring francophones. These dualities have been on my mind often this year because many of philosophy's greatest questions over the centuries, most of them actually, stem from these polarities. It is as if somewhere along the lines, Someone decided that all of the answers to life's questions came in twos. Well, what if they came in threes or in fives? Our human nature craves certainty so much that the possibility of life's riddles having multiple answers is very unsettling, and understandably so. Our physical lives are generally divided into twos, day-night, mind-body, mother-child, work-play, husband-wife, sleep-wakefulness, and so on. We cannot change the nature of, or la nature in French, but we can change the way that we see ourselves and our possibilities for being in the world. What I will call yes-no thinking keeps our true selves trapped inside of us. So now I'm interjecting here. Our true selves, I'm talking about our essence keeps our true selves trapped inside of us as we create a self that responds to the yes-no thinking of those around us. The problem is that many of us are rewarded for this self that we have understandably created to please those that we love or to avoid conflict, or I'm interjecting, to simply function in in a more peaceful way in society or a more acceptable way. As the layers of confusion or resentment build up inside of us, it becomes harder to even remember who we are. This is where the French are geniuses. 
It is no accident that un problème existentiel, an existential problem, is something that you commonly hear in France when people are talking about a personal issue. The French have a much more compassionate understanding of this human experience, that's French for experience, and thus give themselves much more latitude when it comes to accepting their duality. I purposely did not say owning their duality. I truthfully dislike the term owning as much as I dislike the term unapologetically. More on that to come. When we decide, when we try to decide who we are, or decide to be unapologetically, in quotes, who we are, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And I'm interjecting that pressure to fit into that binary thinking that yes, no, good, bad, true, false. An opinion becomes an identity. A gesture becomes a character trait. A decision becomes part of our personality. Reread that last phrase. So I'll say it again. An opinion becomes an identity. A gesture becomes a character trait. A decision becomes part of our personality. Consider areas where you may be putting unnecessarily I'm sorry, where you may be putting unnecessary and grossly unpleasant pressure on yourself. And then I'm skipping a couple of pages. This course will guide you to living with more ease, with less of a need to be defensive. And I'm interjecting. So that need to be defensive is our natural resistance to that very unnatural attempt to put ourselves into this yes, no, to, to squeeze our, ens- our essence, to fragment our essence into this yes, no type thinking. It will teach you how to let go of the past so that nothing stands between you and your present. It will show you how to trust that your world will not fall apart if you show people who you want to try to be, that's a very important part of this course. And that's a very important part of honoring your essence. Essences are living, breathing things that change. And, and it's okay to change. It's quite natural to change. And sometimes we, we don't allow ourselves to attempt to do so because we're just simply so afraid of what people will think or what resistance they might meet us with. And that world will definitely not fall apart if you change your mind. French women march to the beat of their own drum, and that includes changing their mind on a dime. After all, they are only human. This course will give you the tools to know and to be yourself, your soi. And then I'll stop there. Actually, there's one little more I want to read. Learn how to exist exist, so that you can learn how to really vivre, live. A new paradigm of gentle power is making its way into your journey of gentle power. We are going to look at what makes us human so that we can give ourselves permission to be ourselves. I wrote that in two words, not ourselves, but ourselves, and then be those selves without being defensive in the world, i.e. without being unapologetically ourselves. Therein lay the clarity and calm that is key to the French way of being yourself. So whenever we try to translate something, whether it's a text or whether it's our essence translated into language or the essence of who we're becoming into the presence of who we are in the world, something will always be lost. But that thing lost, that essence is not to be forgotten. It's not to be thrown away. 
It's probably the most important part of whatever whatever uh, energy around that word you're trying to translate or, or whatever energy around yourself. And for those of you who are interested in this course, I put a discount code connected to it for 10% off. The code will be active this week on the site and it simply is being myself, all one word, being myself. I think it's a really wonderful time of year to do self-reflection and to look at ways that you're unnecessarily giving your energy away, trying to fit your wonderfully evolving, expansive essence into tiny dualistic boxes. Et voilà, chers amis, and there you go, my friends. Now I would love to answer one of your questions, which was a really great one about French culture. This listener, who's also a student, writes, when French women entertain, do they sit down, do they do sit down dinners or do they do something more aligned more along the lines of an apéro dinatoire. This is a wonderful question. This is a wonderful question, and it's challenging to answer in a general way. So I'll just answer it based on my circle of friends, um, my my younger group of friends in their thirties, um, early forties. I'll say. Tend to do either a sit-down dinner or an apéro dinatoire. My friends that are in their late 40s, 50s tend to do more sit-down dinners. Now, again, that's just based on my circle of friends. Um, so I happen to know that the difference is tied to age, but just in my circle of friends. Um, let me define what an apéro dinatoire is for those of you listening who don't know. So many of you know what aperitif is. So it's pre-dinner drinks and snacks or apéro. Sometimes apéro could also be uh, what we call when we just meet people for drinks after work. But usually it means having someone over for drinks and, you know, sort of light snacks. So classic things, there's always peanuts at a French apéro. There are usually potato chips. I have my brand that I love, my like wonderful artisanal potato chips that I get from the grocery store around the corner. Sometimes I get, I get the ones that are with truffle, which I love. Uh, there'll usually be perhaps some cheese, maybe one or two types of cheese, some baguette, Cherry tomatoes usually show up at an apéro. Cherry tomatoes, peanuts, potato chips, I'd say, are the staples. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people will make a homemade dip. In my L'Art de Vivre class, I, gave, I give this advice that, you know, usually at an apéro, it's nice to have one thing that's, that's homemade, so a dip that you've made or put together yourself. Now, an apéro dinatoire is essentially going to be the same thing but in larger quantity and you'll have and instead of just so so sometimes an apéro will be just champagne especially if it's pre-dinner drinks and that host is then going to, is going to offer you a sit-down dinner because remember that's technically what apéro is it's it's the it's the start of a of a long a longer sit-down meal but it can also just be with you know like with wine. Um, people generally don't serve cocktails at apéro here, um, especially in their homes. It's usually wine or champagne. 
Um, but an apéro dînatoire then would obviously have more wine or wine in addition to champagne. There would be more cheeses. There would also be some charcuterie or charcuterie. There would be just generally more of everything, and there would probably be some more um, substantial type dishes. So, and you know, you can always. It's nice to add your personal flair. So. If I do an apéro dînatoire, what's fun about it too is instead of instead of you know putting all this thought into preparing courses for the meal, you really get to put all this thought into sourcing into curating this wonderful apéro dînatoire with the cheeses that you like from the cheesemakers that you like and the bread that you love from the baker that you love. So I would you know get my favorite goats and sheep's cheeses. I would probably splurge on a wonderful cow cheese. I don't eat a lot of cheese made with uh, cow's milk just because um, I mean I personally love it but my my body isn't that big of a fan of it but this would definitely be a moment where I would go for it those of you who have done my living with food the French way course know what I'm talking about these selected moments of gourmandise I would um, there's a wonderful dip with dill and garlic that I make I would definitely make I'd probably have um, fresh baguette and also a different kind of some other kind of you know bread I would do um, I'd do fun things like maybe like I'd cut up some apples in a beautiful way and have a little pool of like honey like a little like um little dish of honey next to it. I always love edible dried flowers. Sometimes I put those on the cheese that I lay out. Um, I love, you all know now how much I love Spain and Spanish food. So I would probably do like a tortilla. So that's that egg, cheese and potato Spanish dish. I would probably do a big tortilla that people could cut up or that I would cut up and, and um, people could have. So that would be something that's a little bit more substantial. So that's really the difference between apéro and apéro dînatoire. So apéro dînatoire is the meal made of some of the made of the core things that make up an apéro, but also with dishes that are more substantial and also with with more more to eat, more items to eat and to drink. The main thing that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to um, talk about though in answering this question is I have a hunch that people might have a very sort of fancy image of like a French sit-down dinner or an apéro dînatoire. Remember that in French culture, less is always more. Just as is with how French women dress. By the way, I hope that you loved the content in the newsletter yesterday with those wonderful scenes I found on YouTube of Karine Rothfeld, um, you know, doing her personal shopping during, during Fashion Week. So that's a be- beautiful example of someone not letting what they're wearing overshadow their essence. And in the same way, when you're doing a sit-down dinner or an apéro dînatoire in French culture, the, the the event shouldn't overshadow its its essence and its essence is people getting together and sharing things together and catching up and communicating. So it doesn't need to be fancy or over the top. Um, but that said, the, the items that you serve, it's very much appreciated if they're well curated. And, and it's always fun if there's a story behind them, like, oh, this is the cheese I get from that fromager that's in this arrondissement and, and blah, blah, blah. Or, or this is a wine that I tried. I, you know, For example, I, it would be so much fun for me to serve a wine at, at an apéro or at an apéro dînatoire or at a dinner where it's uh, you know, a wine that I discovered on my road trip this summer. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some Greek food starts to show up in the dinners that I host this year because I just was so crazy about about everything that I had down there. I had this amazing 
butter, no, not butter bean. I did have an amazing butter bean dish, but I had an amazing fava bean dish, par exemple, and the whole combination of feta with honey, which I don't know how, but was I don't know how I missed out on that my whole life, but was new to me. So really remember that it's about um, the quality of the items you're curating and your passion for them. That's what makes a wonderful French-style sit-down dinner or apéro dînatoire or apéro. I had a wonderful dinner with my best friend, Xavier, who you've all heard me talk about many times last night. And it was so, so case in point. So this was a sit-down dinner. It's just the two of us at his home, and I brought a wine that I discovered recently that I love, so it was so fun to share that passion with him, and he loved it too. We had a wonderful discussion about wine, thanks to this wonderful wine, and and he served the most wonderful dinner, and the setting was just so, just, you know, sweet and detailed and not over the top, wonderful rotisserie chicken. Um, green beans with garlic, roasted potatoes. It was just wonderful. And it was perfect because it was, it was served with a lot of love and, and the, really like the guest of honor, the most important element of the sit down dinner that he planned was our conversation, our échange or our exchange, as we would say en français. Et donc, Voila, mes amis. And so there you have it, my friends. Again, that discount code for being yourself the French way is being myself. All one word. It's 10% off um, and it will be active all of this week. And then after that, it will not be active. So if you, if that speaks to you at all, definitely take advantage of it this week. I look forward to receiving more of your questions. Et surtout, And above all, je vous souhaite une très belle journée. I wish you a very beautiful day.